Well, welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching pastor here at Grace. I will not be teaching this morning, preaching. That will be Sean Cross, uh, Sean and Melissa's last day with us. It's a big day tonight at 5 o'clock from 5 to 7. We have a spaghetti dinner. Uh, Even if this is your first time here, you'd like to know more about our church, um, please come and join us. We'd love to interact with you. But our purpose tonight, as this morning in the prayer time, is to... Let Sean and Melissa, how grateful we are for their ministry to us, how much we love them. Just sitting in the back in response to the call to move around a little bit. I don't know who did that a few weeks ago, but Allison and I were sitting in the back, and that last song, All I Have is Christ, I was looking around and I was thinking about how very much that means to so many of you. Um, Lisa Pelton, Barbara Stevens, Norma Callahan, they're all with us today. That's the trifecta right there, you know, those three. Um, It's been a long time since Lisa's been able to be here. And she was sitting down, just I can't help but notice these things. And then on that last course, she was standing up, all I have is Christ. I was talking with someone this week saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the future. And the Lord just impressed on my heart, you don't have to... Go into the future alone. Not only is Jesus with you, the body is with you. That's the way we're designed. I don't know if you picked up on this last week in the charge to Sean. Very, very personal letter. Why would Pudens and Claudia, people like that, be mentioned? Because there was this deep love, and that's over and over in Paul's letters. In Philippians, he said, the Lord had mercy on me in sparing Epaphroditus. He was very sick, but God had mercy on me and spared him. And so it's quite appropriate today. Sean hates all this stuff, you know. We're saying, hey, Sean, we love you. We thank you. Just really, it's for Melissa, Sean. We don't, you know, we don't love you all. I mean, we... uh, we, of course, we loved you guys, and we're going to pray for you. I'm going to make you do it one more time. You guys, just come forward. Stand in front of the communion table, if you would. And it would be so expected to call the um, elders up, but I, I think it would be more appropriate for the people that they've shared life with in a very intimate way over these last several years. Uh, the brothers and sisters in their home group who have walked through the most difficult times in this past year was an amazingly difficult time for Sean and Melissa. And these guys are going to uh, pray for our brother and sister as we send them out with all of our love and all of our hearts. Father, we come today to pray for our brothers and sister, Sean and Melissa. We are a small representation of the part of your body that has been so deeply impacted um, through their ministry. Um, We're so grateful for the relationship that you have given us um, in each one of them. Father, and today I I pray for their spiritual growth. Um, Father, that you would pour your your spirit, your word, um, your knowledge, your truth into their hearts and that uh, their cup would overflow, and that their ministry in D.C. and and 
the D.C. area would have an eternal impact, Father. Um, we are so grateful for the time that they've spent here with us. Um, and it is tough to, to send them to D.C., to send them away. Um, but, Father, we're sending them out to the lost um, that you have to call to yourself, Father, through the ministry of Sean and Melissa. I just pray that you would raise up leaders there um, who will pour into them, who will hold them accountable, um, who can help lead and disciple them as your children, Father, um, and let them know that they always have family um, here in North Carolina. Uh, we love you, and we're so grateful uh, for the ministry that Sean and Melissa have, uh, for putting it in their hearts to serve you. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And as these guys make their way back and the deacons come forward for the offering, we'll pray one more time. Father, we are so grateful for giving Sean and Melissa to us. The ways that you give to us and bless us overwhelm us. And we thank you for the ways that you have provided for us financially and for the beautiful prayer that's been offered that you would provide trust uh, in addition to finances for Sean and Melissa. Thank you for what we have been given. May we give back joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Sean. For those of you who maybe don't know um, or haven't, haven't uh, been, been here before, um, welcome again to Grace Community Church. Uh, let, let me just share share this with you as as we get started. That uh, I, I started coming to Grace Community Church uh, when I was uh, a freshman at Campbell University. Uh, so September of 2000, I started coming to Grace Community Church. Um, I was 17 years old. Uh, I had no beard. Uh, no. I really think that's a metaphor for all of the things that I was without, uh, certainly just a, a child. Um, and <clears throat> I, uh, quickly in my time at, at Campbell, about maybe a week in, I met a, a girl named Jill Rebert, and her family, uh, they were missionaries in Kenya, but she lived, uh, she had spent some time in uh, Maryland, right outside of D.C., and I grew up in Virginia, right outside of D.C., so we connected about that, and we were just talking about um, <clears throat> missions, and uh, she said, I have a cousin who preaches at a church. Now, Joe was a freshman like me, and um, I have a lot of cousins, but when I say cousin, typically I mean first cousin, and so I was like, yeah, sure, let's check out this church. It was Grace Community Church. We went to Harnett Central Middle School. Some of you uh, have been around uh, long enough to remember those days. Um, and Brad started preaching, and I was surprised that, you know, they were cousins. And trying to figure out mathematically... <laughs> how that was possible. Um, but then I realized, uh, came to find out, um, that cousin, second 12 times removed cousin. 
Um, it's, it's maybe a, a southern thing that I wasn't aware of. And, and so I came, and I was grateful and loved it. I had gone to a few other churches uh, at, uh, in the area. It just didn't fit. Um, and then also I just started coming into to my own sort of as, as a believer, theologically interest, interested all of a sudden, uh, just just really wanting to, to to get some meat, as it were. And, and I was thankful, and I thought it was so neat. I thought it was really just one of those uh, provisions from God, just amazing things that somehow in my first week at Campbell, I ran into a cousin of this guy, Brad Talley. Now, 13 years later, um, I, I found that that is actually the second most likely way that you'll hear about Brad Towie is to run into one of his cousins, the most likely being that you are indeed one of his cousins. Um, and so, so if, I didn't, if I'd have known that my, my freshman year at Campbell, I would not have thought anything special of it, but... But nonetheless, the Lord graciously allowed me not to know that. Um, and so I started coming to Grace Community Church. Uh, like I said, I was 17. I was there for all of my years, all four of my years, and then an extra year for my wife, Melissa's senior year. Uh, we met on campus at Campbell. Um, we were both uh, in the Campus Crusade skit team. Some of you... Um, some, some people actually in here were in college with us and saw the skits, and uh, they were a lot... Okay, so you remember childhood movies from the 80s, some of you, or whatever your childhood movies are, how, how your memory of them uh, is just so wonderful, and then you think, oh, I'm going to relive that memory in all its glory, and then you realize, like, this is the worst movie that was ever made, uh, and... And really, I should have let it be a memory. That's, that's where it should have stayed. Happy in my heart forever. Um, Never-ending story, right? Uh, Fly of the Navigator. They were awesome when I was a kid. They are not anymore. Uh, well, if, if, you, um, if you happen to be one of those people, you could talk to David Calvert, Scott Shambly, uh, Brandon Wyant, even... Kelly uh, as well. Like, if you were there at Campbell at that time, um, you remember the glory of, of the, the Campbell University Campus Crusade skit team. I mean, we were the funniest skit team that had ever been launched in the name of Jesus, certainly, um, and maybe beyond. Um, everything we did was poignant and smart and fresh um, in your memory. We have a tape. Um, there's one tape. I'm still trying to get my hands on it so that I can um, make there be no tapes, but, but it was awful. It was awful. Um, and, and I look at it and I think the only thing that maybe that time really accomplished was that I got to meet Melissa. And so I'm thankful for it. I would do the awful all over again, um, so that I could be married to Melissa. I'm grateful for that. Uh, when she graduated, uh, we spent two years away from Grace, um, uh, we were in, I was in Orlando. We were there. Melissa was working in a Christian school. I was attending seminary. Um, and we were just going around to churches. And um, so, some were just really big. 
Some just were really weird. Um, And this is not how you ought to go from church to church. Let me just say that. Um, You shouldn't go from church to church saying, how is this like my old church or my new church? So if you're new to Grace, let me just give you this one. Like, in the ways that we're like your old church, great. In the ways that we're not, I'm sorry. And chances are you'll just have to miss that aspect of your old church. Um, but we, we were running around and nothing fit, nothing felt like home. And it was sort of then that we realized the home that we had in Grace Community Church. And so uh, after a couple of years in Orlando, uh, we came back here, 2007, um, and started working with the youth uh, and 2008, I came on full-time, uh, or became the uh, youth director, I should say, exclusively. And, uh, and then, I remember this, in, in December of 2008, I preached my first sermon here. Um, and it was during Advent, and uh, we, we were going through Advent, you know, joy, hope, love, peace, all the, the Advent themes. And I, I had hope. Um, but I had no concern with preaching on that because I knew what I wanted to preach for my first sermon from when I was in seminary. And it was uh, a, a sermon on Matthew, uh, the end of Matthew uh, 11 and then Matthew 12 and just preached on resting in Christ. Um, and, and so the way I spun it was that our only hope, <laughs> this is good, um, <laughs> is to rest in Jesus to rest in Jesus. In a lot of ways, it was not not a great sermon. Um, it was packed with undefined theological jargon. Um, in some ways, I was still kind of fresh out of that seminary mindset. It was. It was I listened to it again. Um, that you got that that everyone didn't fall asleep uh, is just the sign that the Spirit of God works however He chooses. And as long as the word of God is preached. Um, and and so, um, so I preached on that. And so all this time now, seven about years later, um, I'm just so thankful. I've, I've seen all the ways that as a church um, you have allowed me to make mistakes, allowed me to grow up, allowed me to sort of come into my own um, as a as a preacher, as a pastor, as a servant, as um, as a, a vocational minister, um, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so very thankful for the ways that you have loved and built up um, both me and my wife. Um, when we came here, when we first started coming here, it was just me, 2000. Then Melissa, late 2001, right, and then. Um, Hazel and and Anderson was born in in North Carolina in Chapel Hill and Milo was born in the van and you know all a van that that we got from a family in the church right like you guys have just been a part of our family story and and this has been a home for us um, for for all this time and so we're thankful for that and. And we love you, and we love Grace Community Church um, very much. And in all that time, I feel like we've been preaching and, and teaching sort of the same thing. And, and, and that's, that's one of the things that I like about preaching um, is because I'm not 
super creative, you know? And so I like that I get to preach the same thing over and over again, just in different texts. And even in that first sermon that wasn't great, um, really what, what, what the theme of the sermon was, was that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. We're going to be in Colossians 1 today, and, and if, you, if your Bible has um, headlines or, you know, headers in it, those, those aren't authoritative, but they're helpful, right? And so this one is the supremacy of Christ. Uh, Jesus is supreme over all things. Jesus is better than all things. And so that first sermon, even though I wouldn't have structured it or phrased it that way, what I, what I know now is that essentially what I was preaching is that, is that Jesus is, is greater than the worry of the world, than the labor that is brought about by sin, than the weight of hurt and sickness and sadness and sorrow, the weight of sin that lies on each of us. Jesus is better than that. So give it to him, right? That, that was what we were preaching, and that's what we preach, is that Jesus is better. Uh, we sang that song, I love it, and all my sorrows, and all my joys and triumphs, and my weakness, Jesus is better. That, that is true. And the only thing that needs to happen in our lives is our hearts need to believe. And so we need the grace of God poured on us so that we believe that Jesus is better. And we begin to apply that truth, that Jesus is better. And so in my story, I left out details like um, just how difficult it was being at seminary and having Melissa work at a job that she didn't care for, mostly going to a church that really was not just different theologically, but opposed to the theological stances that I was learning and taking through seminary. And so feeling that weight every week, not feeling connected, coming here and, and working three jobs. And, you know, it's not boasting or complaining. It's just what it was, working three jobs and working with the youth. And, and then, you know, we finally get to this place where we're working full-time here. And, and it's in that moment when we find out we're working full-time that the Lord says, hey, I want you to plant a church. And so I talked to Melissa and said, hey, I think God is calling us to plant a church. And like any sane person, Melissa's response was, we're not talking about that right now. (laughs) And like any sane husband, my response was okay. Um, (laughs) And so in all those things, why 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 do we endure it? Why? Because we, we genuinely believe that Jesus is better. And so now, here we are, four years later from that, that moment, uh, almost five um, and, in May, and uh, we're leaving the closest family that we've had. We are. We're leaving a job that is, is great. Like, we love it here. We're leaving a home and a town. Fuquay is a great town. I'm sorry if you live in any of those other ones, but Fuquay, <laughs> Fuquay is a wonderful town. And we've, we've grown to love it. We both came from the north. We came from hustle and bustle, right? And I remember my first day in Bowie's Creek. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, see, I don't even have to tell you the story. But <laughs> I was going, uh, so obviously it was Bowie's Creek before sort of the, the shift. I don't know. Bowie's Creek is almost a booming metropolis. 
hard-knit standards now. But before there was anything on campus, you had to either go to Lillington or Dunn. And so I decided I would go to Lillington um, because why not? And so I was going to Lillington, and there was traffic. And so I grew up in the D.C. area. Traffic is something I can understand. Um, and there was traffic, and I hadn't seen it before, but I was fine with it. And cars are going into the other lane. Oh, it's an accident. Okay, we know, you know, we know how to deal with this accident. Cars, about three cars are ahead of me, and then I see the source of the traffic, and it's a tractor. <laughs> and the tractor's not even concerned. <laughs> right? And, and um, so that that's, takes some getting used to. Uh, but... But we've gotten used to it. We're, we, we love it. It's home. We go to D.C. now, and while we, we enjoy it and we're looking forward to it, we're kind of like, whoa, whoa. What? Like, everybody just slow down for a second. Just calm down. Let's talk this out. Let's have some sweet tea and a bowberry biscuit, and let's just, let's just relax, right? And, um, and so why? Why? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And this isn't something that we've come to like on our own. The grace of God is by the spirit of God, through the word of God preached, has worked this out in us. That Jesus is better. And so when we go to D.C., that's, that's all we're preaching. We're preaching the same thing. In essence, my job isn't really changing. The location is. The details of how we work it out are. But the job isn't changing. My job is the same as it is now. It's the same that Brad's is, David's is, as he either preaches or leads us through song. It's, it's to proclaim that truth that Jesus is better than all things. Right? That's what we preach. We preach Christ. Uh, I, I recently got a book uh, called Preachers and Preaching by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, and by recently, I mean last week when you guys gave me the books. Thanks for it. Um, and in it, in it, he says this, uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's one of the, just the great preachers, great preachers of, of contemporary times. Uh, he said, so what is the chief end of preaching? Why, why do we preach? And, and he says, uh, the chief end of preaching is this, to give men and women a sense of God and his presence. So how do we, how do, we, how do, we do that? Well, we preach Christ. I'll explain that in a little bit. But we preach Christ. Charles Spurgeon, in lectures to my students, also last week, thank you, um, been doing a lot of reading this week. Um, but uh, he said this to, the, to his students, and I love it, I love it. Preach Christ or go home. If you're not preaching Jesus, what are you doing? Right? And so, so I have to take that breath. We take that. We, we preach Jesus. Now, now here's why. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll hop into the text. And this is as long an introduction as I've ever given in my life. Um, but we, we, we preach Jesus. And, and the reason that we preach Jesus is because he changes everything. Look, I... I I can be up here, and, and, and I don't know what you're coming here to receive. Different people come to sermons to receive different things. Let me challenge you. As we preach Christ, receive Christ, hear Christ, seek, search for Christ through the scriptures. Because I can give you advice on, on managing your finances. 
and staying out of debt. But look, uh, I, you can get that anywhere. Read Dave Ramsey. I mean it. Read Dave Ramsey. Right? If you want financial advice, read, read him. Right? And, and so there will be times where the scripture leads us to say, as you say that Jesus is better than everything, then, then that means that your finances. And so we'll say, give generously because Jesus is better. We'll say, stay out of debt because Jesus is better. But ultimately, if we're not preaching Christ, we're, we're doing you a disservice because you can get that anywhere. There are thousands upon thousands of self-help books. There are thousands upon thousands of parenting books. If you want to learn how to parent, yeah, the church is a good place to do that. But when you're here to receive the sermon, ultimately what you need to hear is Jesus is better, right? If you need parenting advice, there's James Dobson or Brene Brown or whatever. Just read, you know, they can do that. And, and you don't need to be in the church setting to, to, to be equipped to do those things. Right? And even from a biblical standpoint. But when we're here, when we're gathered together, we preach Jesus because Jesus is better than all of those things. Do you see, like, feeding the poor. We feed the poor as a church. We're called to feed the poor. We took benevolence offering last week. We do these things. But ultimately, if you want to do that, you don't need the church. There are other organizations that feed the poor. So the church can't just do that. We have to be about more. We have to Preach Christ because Jesus is better. Because when you feed somebody, they still get hungry again. Or even if they never get hungry again, what happens? They die anyway. No amount of food can save you from that. And so if you feed someone without preaching Christ to them, what have you ultimately done for them? If you teach someone to balance their checkbook perfectly, coach them out of debt and into um, a place where they're financially self-determining, they don't have Jesus, what have you done for them? Right? You can parent your kids out of jail, maybe, not really. Right? And so if you're coming for the application, if you're coming those, for those things and not Jesus, let me just explain this to you quickly what you're doing. You're saying, get past all the gospel stuff and just give me things I can do to make my life better. And that is antithetical to Christianity. And so we preach that Jesus is better. We preach Jesus. Paul said, I I seek nothing but to what? Preach Christ and him crucified. Preaches the gospel. And here he is again in the church in Colossians. So you can stay seated for this. We're going to work our way through this. I'm just going to explain why we preach Christ, why Jesus is better. I'm just going to talk about that for a little bit. Um. And then we'll actually receive the Lord through communion. All right, so here we are in Colossians 1. Paul has just written um, Timothy, the church in Colossae, just saying, look, I'm praying for you every day. We're not ceasing to pray for you, to, to be filled with wisdom, understanding, to walk in a manner worthy of God, um, to, 
to share in, in, the, in the blessing and the knowledge and the joy of the Lord that comes through Jesus. And, and then he says, because you've received the gospel and the benefit of the gospel is this, uh, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, and so even before we get into the text, what we see is that Jesus is the only source of redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Apart from Jesus, you're in what what Paul calls the domain of darkness. Why does he call it the domain of darkness? Because God is the light. Jesus is the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. It enters the domain, and the darkness can't overcome it. And so what he's saying is that there are two places. You're either living in the light, or you're living in darkness. And apart from Jesus... And so if you're here now and you're not a believer, what we're saying is that apart from Jesus, you're living in darkness. And if you're here now and you are a believer, what we're saying is before Jesus was in your life, you were living in darkness, even if you didn't know it. Your heart was rebellious against the things of God. You were busy trying to fill up your life with things to fill that emptiness that we all feel, that we all experience. The emptiness that you feel is not unique to you. It is typical of all mankind because of sin. Sin has broken our relationship with God to the point where we say things like, there is no God. Or if there is a God, we can't know him. Or if there is a God, well, he has a lot of different names, and as long as I do what I can, I'm good. Right, And these are just ways, ultimately, we could talk about science all day. I'd love to if you want to. We could talk about all the philosophical things that you want to, but ultimately, God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, acts as a hindrance to you filling up the void in your life with all of these other things that you think will provide happiness, but don't. So we'll call them idols. They're things that you're using to to fill the spot that only God is supposed to fill in your life. Right? And so whether it's Alcohol, or friendships, or money, or sexuality, any of these things that you're using, what happens is there's this darkness that we live in that that we don't even realize, but there's this, this need, this void, this emptiness, and we try to satisfy that with these things, and so we turn to money, and we try to fill our lives with money, but money is never enough. How much money is enough money? How secure is financially secure enough? It loses its luster, right? We turn all kinds of sin. That's that's, that's why people become, in many senses, and, and I understand the chemical components of it, but when people become addicted to things, right, it's because the effects of it wear off and then they're not as spectacular as they were in the beginning. And so you need more and more and more. And it's not enough. And so you need a new drug. And you need more and more of that and it's not enough. It's not enough. It's never enough. But you're running from God. Right? It's not merely that you don't think there's enough evidence for God. You're running from him. So Paul says that in 
Jesus, you can leave the domain of darkness, enter into the kingdom of his beloved son, the son of God that is Jesus. And in him we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So now that means that all of the things that you've tried to fill and satisfy your soul with that have failed, um, all that hurt you, not only do you have to stop trying or do you get to stop trying, but you're free from it. You're forgiven for your sins. In Jesus, So Jesus is huge. And, and in order to understand and to believe that and to believe in to Jesus, in order to really say that Jesus is better, because if, if Jesus is not your Lord, like if, if you are not a believer, if the Spirit is not working your heart, then everything I'm saying to you is just complete silliness. It's nonsense. Some of you who are believers now have been in a place where you know that's true. You remember You remember when the things of Jesus were nonsense to you. And then you believed into them, and all of a sudden, they weren't nonsense. They were hope and life. But in order to do that, we need to see who Jesus is. In order to say that Jesus is better, we need to see who Jesus is. And so that's what Paul does. Here we are in verse 15. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Right, and so remember that quote by Lloyd-Jones, right? The chief end of preaching is to give men and women a sense of God in his presence. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, the book of Hebrews says he's the full radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. It means that if you want to know what God is like, if you're interested in searching out who God is, Look to Jesus. Look at his work. Look at his heart. Look at the things he was passionate about. Look at his sacrifice. And you'll see God. So you see, as you look to Jesus, you actually do start to get a sense of God. And and what what is another name for Jesus in the Bible? It's Emmanuel, God with us. It's presence. As you enter into the text and you see Jesus, you actually get a sense of the presence of God with you because he is. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That means that if it's here, Jesus made it or he gave people the ability, the capacity to imagine, to conceive, and to create it. So it belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's. All in it. He created. I I don't want to spend time arguing about the hows, but I do want to talk about the why. For, For his glory and for our good, he created And when you acknowledge that, then you also acknowledge that there's a certain level of responsibility that you have to him, just like your parents. You may not like it if you're young, but you have a certain level of responsibility towards your parents because they put you in this earth, right? Cosby style, take you out. (laughs) But no, not, not because they could take you out, because chances are they won't, let's be honest, but because... There's an order to it. They, they, you come from them. And so in a sense, you, they're responsible for you and you're obedient and responsible to them. 
And in the same way, God created you, and so you are responsible, and you are charged, and by nature, you are bound to love and serve him. Now, you don't. We don't. Sin has broken that. But that's who God is, and ultimately, Jesus is the agent of all creation. Not only that, all culture, right? Thrones or dominions, rulers, authority, everything that when men and women get together and they start, like I said, imagining and, and fashioning things, right? That's what we do is we fashion. And so, so we fashion culture and, and, and uh, government or architecture or mathematics. We take the, the raw material that's around. Like, this is fascinating that we do this, right? No other creature does this, takes the raw material that's around them and not out of instinct just for shelter, but beyond just the basic necessities, Right? Like we fashion things for ourselves in order to make life either more convenient, more comfortable, more efficient, right? Like woodpeckers are still pecking and we have drills, right? Catch up, birds, right? No, (laughs) like they don't have the capacity, but we do. And all of that comes from God. And so that means, yeah, no, God didn't build this church building that we're sitting in, right? But he gave the faculty and the capacity to men and women to do it, which means that in one way or another, yes, he did. And it belongs to him. Your life is not your own. Now, at first, your heart wants to push against that. But when you embrace that fact, let me tell you this. It is freeing. Your life is not your own. It belongs to the Lord. The author of all things. He, he is before all things, and in him, verse 17, all things hold together. So he created, he sustains. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. All right, And so in order to understand this, we need to understand that narrative that we talk about so much, about creation, fall, redemption. Jesus created all things. God created all things, including people. And what did our first parents do? They sinned against him. And as a result, all of creation, everything is out of order. And I don't have to preach that to you. You can just look at the news or your own marriage or life or family or heart. Things don't function the way they should. Some days they just happen to function a lot less the way they should for us than others. And so we say we're having one of those days. But let's be honest. Things are broken and in need of repair but not just repair, restoration. And so what the Bible says, what Paul was saying to the church in Colossae is that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. And Paul talks about resurrection a lot. You can read 1 Corinthians. Um, the, the, actually, the Gospels, uh, Jesus talks about the fact that he's going to be raised a lot, that he is raised. All these things sort of hinge around the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus being raised from the dead is this. It's, it's that first sort of taste 
of the restoring of all things. And so it's important that we preach Jesus raised from the dead because that means death is no longer having a hold on him, which means that all that are in him, death no longer will have a hold on. And it means that all these things, Jesus says in in Revelation, behold, I'm making all things new. What is that? That's redemption. That's, That's resurrection. And he's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the agent, the author of, the perfecter of resurrection, of restoration in you and in the earth, right? And so as we preach Jesus, what we're saying is that there are things that are bad and we can meet your needs now and we will meet your needs. Why? Because we love you. But ultimately you need to hear, see, receive, believe this, that Jesus is raising you from the dead and there will come a point where he says, that's it, enough. He will return He will redeem, he will restore, he will resurrect, he will heal, right? This is the great hope of the gospel. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than death. Now, if Jesus is better than death, I mean, that means he's better than a whole lot, right? But there are things worse than death from one sense, right? Jesus is better than he's preeminent over betrayal, divorce, cancer. And you know it. Sometimes the suffering from cancer is worse, especially when the person is a believer, than the relief that comes from passing through death into life. But Jesus is better than cancer. Supreme over war, over poverty, over hunger, over the AIDS epidemic, over all things. Jesus rules, reigns, and he's better. He's preeminent over everything, but not only the bad things, also the good things, right? Jesus is Lord of all. And so what Jesus is doing through his resurrection and through his resurrection vehicle, his resurrected people, the church, right? It's, it's not a coincidence that Paul chooses to say he is the head of the body, the church, and then say he is the firstborn of the, from the dead, right? Like, that's not a coincidence. Like, we are the vehicle by which God is bringing redemption and resurrection to the earth until he returns, and we do that, yes, by feeding the poor. We do that, yes, by, by um, caring for those who are in need and by sitting in hospitals and praying with folks. But we do that by preaching that Jesus is better. Like preaching Christ. And that's not just something that Brad or I do. That's, that's something that all who are believers are called to do. For in Jesus... Verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? You feel far from God. Of course you do. Sin does that, but it pleases God. Like, God doesn't just do this. Because, well, I've got to do this. 
It makes him happy. Why does it make him happy? Why do you think God is happy to do this? Because he loves you. God loves you. The love of Jesus is better than the love of anything or anyone else. Because it goes to the cross and beyond. And so God is pleased in Christ. To bring the reconciliation of all things to himself. He's pleased to dwell in Jesus. Which means if Jesus is the head of us, the body, Lord, Jesus is pleased to dwell in us. He is. Right? We talk a lot about like the, the wrath of God. Maybe, maybe we don't as much, but we hear a lot about the wrath of God. But what about the pleasure of God? It brings God pleasure to be with his people. To dwell in our midst. And so he makes peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach for him if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So now, I love that in Colossians, Paul works from the outside in, that he works communal to individual, cosmic to personal. Because that, that's what it is. We've kind of flipped it upside down. We talk about personal salvation first. All the time, like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You need to have a personal um, time with the Lord. And, and look, the faith is personal, but how does Paul work? He works, he's redeeming all things. Oh, and by the way, he's also redeeming you. And there is redemption in Christ. But it's only by faith in Christ. If you notice, nowhere in here does Paul say, um, and also by you doing A, B, C, D, and E, praying five times a day, or go, going on a pilgrimage, or observing certain rules, or not being a certain way, or whatever it is. He doesn't say any of that. He says that it's all in Christ, that God, God plans it, that Christ achieves it on the cross. Essentially, that the Holy Spirit applies it to you. It's his work. And all you do is continue on in faith, believing in what Jesus has done. And this is the gospel. This is the hope that we have. And we need it. Those who are outside of the church, outside of the faith, need it. Those who are in D.C., those who are in the ends of the earth. This is what we preach. This is what we have. And so then Paul can say, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ 
in you the hope of glory. There's a lot in there. I can't unpack it all. But I do want to say this. Paul was willing to suffer. Paul was willing to be alienated. Paul was willing to leave. Right? Read Acts 20. That's not a man who's like just eager to get get out of town. Right? He's not eager to leave the Ephesian church behind. It's a man who leaves with much heartache. But he does, and he goes, and he plants churches, and he goes, and he preaches the gospel, and he suffers much, and he's imprisoned, and he's stoned to the point of death, and and all of these things, he's willing and rejoicing in his sufferings and willing to do that. Why? Because he believes that Jesus is better. He knows that Jesus is better than all of those things. And it is better, it is worth it for Paul to preach Jesus to the church and, and to us now through Scripture. It's worth it. And it's worth it. Because God, through Jesus, lavishes out on those who believe the riches of his glory. Right? And so we can say things like, be convinced that this momentary suffering is nothing to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. Where the suffering is forging for us a great weight of glory. Right? There's an eternal aspect to this that has to be spoken of. Has to. And all those things we mentioned before, this is why we don't focus on them, we don't major on them even though we do them. So feeding the poor or teaching you how to manage your finances or helping you be a better spouse or parent or student or whatever. Like part of, as you live in accordance with the gospel, those things come and fall into place. Um, but uh, that's not what we focus on. Because without Jesus, those things hold no eternal weight. Think about that. What does it matter if you... And now, look, I know that you want to do good because it's good to do good. And, and you, you're, you don't like this necessarily. But in a thousand years, whether a kid was fed or not really has no consequence right because in a thousand years we'll, most all of us will be forgotten unless you happen to do something incredible or incredibly bad right chances are you're going to be forgotten in a thousand years it will be as though you never existed ultimately won't matter and if you are remembered I mean really what good is it doing George Washington right now If there's no weight of eternity, what good is it doing Martin Luther King Jr.? Or Nero? You know, I'm not just talking good people, right? You know. You know what I mean. The point is that it loses its weight. And it's really just making yourself feel better and distracting yourself from the fact that death is coming. But there is an eternal weight. And in Christ, we have the eternal hope of glory. And so we preach Jesus. And that's what, hopefully, my prayer is that 
I've done in my time with you. And I, I ask you to pray that as we move forward and as we build teams and as we plant this church and as we minister to the people in D.C., that it won't be for um, any other motivation than to see Christ preached. Lives transformed. That, that's, that's our mission. We want to magnify Jesus. We want to make disciples. That's what we want to do. So we remember Christ is better. And one of the ways that we do that is through communion. And so we're going to share in the table right now. So um, if you are uh, serving communion or if you are on the praise team, why don't you go ahead and make your way forward. Um, let me just, let me say a few things about this. It, um, in communion, we remember the work that Jesus did for us. And so we, we take the, the fruit of the vine and we remember the blood that Jesus shed, the blood of the new covenant on our behalf. We take the bread and we remember Jesus' body broken on our behalf and we remember that without Jesus, we have no hope. We remember that Jesus is better. And so not only do we take these things and remember, this, this unique thing happens when we take the table, when we come to the table. The Spirit of God actually, it strengthens our faith. Right? It, it, it gives us a, a more complete, a richer sense of what God has done for us. And so, so with that in mind, it's, it's very important. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's a family meal. And so if you're here and you're not a believer... And then there are probably one of three things with a whole bunch of little nuances of difference that may be happening in your heart and your head right now. You're either thinking, um, this is, I, I can't get away from this. Um, I, I need Jesus. And if that's happening in your heart, in your life right now, what I want you to do is stop, take a moment. And I want you to receive in faith Jesus. Um, one of the ways that you can do that, probably the best way that you can sort of mark that, is to pray. Um, usually someone gives you a prayer to pray. I, I'll let you do that. Just pray. Confess to God your sins. And, and say, let the Lord know that you trust him and that you want him to be Lord over every facet of your life because he's better. And if you do that, what I want you to do is after you pray that, tell the person who brought you, whether it's a family member, a friend, if you just sort of came on your own, then I want you to be even maybe a little bit gutsier and just tell your neighbor. Uh, now, there's also the possibility that you, you, you don't really, you, you're interested in all of this, but you want to sort of learn more. And, and, and that's great, but let me also caution you on this. There comes a point where the only way we will learn any more about the faith is to actually be inside it. And I'm not saying try Jesus. See how it works. I mean, throw yourself into the faith. He will catch you. And so, in essence, it's the same thing. Trust Jesus. Like there comes a point where there's nothing more that anyone can say. 
But if you're not there, you don't want to do that, then I would just ask you whether you walk or not, please do not participate in communion. It's not for you. Um, And then you may hear it, and you're just like, this is a bunch of junk, man. All right? And if that's you, please just don't take it. Thank you for coming. Welcome. You're always welcome back. We love you. We genuinely do. Um, But you probably don't have a problem not taking anyway. Um, So please just honor the table in that way and be honest um, among yourselves within your hearts. Because we take this because Jesus told us to. On the day he was betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, he, he took the bread and he said, look, this is my body broken. This is my body broken for you. He took the cup. They drank from it. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. The blood of the new covenant. For the forgiveness of sins. So we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. And as we do that, our hearts have to remember that he's the firstborn from the dead so that in all things he might be preeminent. I'm going to pray. And then uh, our leaders here and the band will partake. Um, and then um, that'll be your turn. And so we just ask that you walk down these two center, not center aisles. You get the point. And receive from them. And then when you're done, either walk through the main center aisle or around one of the outside aisles um, just so that things go smoothly. Um, you're welcome to take it uh, as you receive it up here. You're welcome to take it as you're seated with your family to pray. Um, whatever it is that you need to do. But um, let me also just urge you that if, you, if you're thinking, ah, I don't know if I should take it, um, just haven't felt very spiritual. I believe Jesus, but take it. Take it. It's, it's less about your faith and more about the faithfulness of God. So allow him to minister to you in that way. Um, but ask God now even to forgive you of your sin, to restore you. So um, I'm going to pray, and then, then we'll get at it. Jesus, you are good. I don't, you're, you're, you're greater than everything else. Anything the world has to offer pales in comparison to the riches that are in you because you created us, you sustain us, you died for us, you were risen again for us, you were redeeming your people, but more than that, you were redeeming your creation. So we ask that our hearts would trust, believe, have faith in and into you and that we would make you Lord over every facet of our lives so that God would be glorified and so that the church would be edified and so that who, those who are far from you might see and receive Jesus. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this table. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said,